And now, the conclusion of Sojourn. Chapter 25. Dwarven Banter Caterbury heard the growling dog, but she had no time to react when the huge man leaped out from behind a boulder and grabbed her roughly by the arm. I know you knowed, McGristle cried, putting his foul breath right in the girl's face. Caterbury kicked him in the shin. You let me go, she retorted. Roddy was surprised that she had no trace of fear in her voice. He gave her a good shake when she tried to kick him again. You come to the mountain for a reason, Roddy said evenly, not relaxing his grip. You come to see the drow. I knew that you were friends with that one. Seen it in your eyes. You know not a thing, Caterbury spat in his face. You're talking lies. So, the drow told you his story of the thistledowns, eh? Roddy replied, easily guessing the girl's meaning. Caterbury knew that she had erred in her anger, had given the wretch confirmation of her destination. The drow? Caterbury said absently. I'm not forgetting what you're speaking about. Roddy's laughter mocked her. You've been with the drow, girl. You said it plain enough. And now you're going to take me to see him. Caterbury sneered at him, drawing another rough shake. Roddy's grimace softened then, suddenly, and Caterbury liked even less the look that came into his eyes. You're a spirited girl, ain't you? Roddy purred, grabbing Caterbury's other shoulder and turning her to face him squarely. Full of life, eh? You'll take me to the drow girl, don't you doubt? But mightn't be there's other things we can do first. Things to show you not to cross the likes of old Roddy McGristle. His caress on Caterbury's cheek seemed ridiculously grotesque, but horribly and undeniably threatening, and Caterbury thought she would gag. It took every bit of Caterbury's fortitude to face up to Roddy at that moment. She was only a young girl, but had been raised among the grim-faced dwarves of Clan Battlehammer, a proud and rugged group. Bruner was a fighter, and so was his daughter. Caterbury's knee found Roddy's groin, and his grip suddenly relaxed. The girl brought one hand up to claw at his face. She kneed him a second time with less effect, but Roddy's defensive twist allowed her to pull away almost free. Roddy's iron grip tightened suddenly around her waist, and they struggled for a moment. Then, Caterbury felt an equally rough grab at her free hand, and before she could understand what was happening, she was pulled from Roddy's grasp, and a dark form stepped by her. So, you come to face your fate, Roddy snarled delightedly at Drizzt. Run off, Drizzt told Caterbury. This is not your affair. Caterbury, shaken, and terribly afraid, did not argue. Roddy's gnarled hands clenched Bleeder's handle. The bounty hunter had faced the drow in battle before, and had no intention of trying to keep up with that one's agile steps and twists. With a nod, he loosed his dog. The dog got halfway to Drizzt, was just about to leap at him, when Gwenhyver buried it, rolling it far to the side. The dog came back to its feet, not seriously wounded, but backing off several steps every time the panther roared in its face. Enough of this, Drizzt said, suddenly serious. You have pursued me through years and leagues. I salute your resilience, but your anger is misplaced. 
I tell you, I did not kill the thistledowns. Never would I have raised a blade against them. To nine hells with the thistledowns, Roddy roared back. You think that's what this is about? My head would not bring you your bounty, Drizzt retorted. To nine hells with the gold, Roddy yelled. You took me dog drow and me ear. He banged a dirty finger against the side of his scarred face. Drizzt wanted to argue, wanted to remind Roddy that it was he who had initiated the fight and that his own axe swing had felled the tree that had torn his face. But Drizzt understood Roddy's motivation and knew that mere words would not soothe. Drizzt had wounded Roddy's pride, and to a man like Roddy, that injury far outweighed any physical pain. I want no fight, Drizzt offered firmly. Take your dog and be gone, on your word alone that you'll pursue me no longer. Roddy's mocking laughter sent a shudder up Drizzt's spine. Ha ha ha! I'll chase you to the ends of the world, drow, Roddy roared. And I'll find you every time. No holes deep enough to take me from you. No seas wide enough. I'll have you, drow. I'll have you now, or if you run, I'll have you later. Roddy flashed a yellow-toothed smile and cautiously stalked toward Drizzt. I'll have you, drow. The bounty hunter growled again quietly. A sudden rush brought him close, and bleeders swiped across wildly. Drizzt hopped back. A second strike promised similar results, but Roddy, instead of following through, came with a deceptively quick backhand that glanced Drizzt's chin. He was on Drizzt in an instant, his axe whipping furiously every which way he could. Stand still! Roddy cried as Drizzt deftly sidestepped, hopped over, or ducked under each blow. Drizzt knew that he was taking a dangerous chance in not countering the wicked blows, but he hoped that if he could tire the burly man, he might still find a more peaceful solution. Roddy was agile and quick for a big man, but Drizzt was far quicker, and the drow believed that he could play this game for a good while longer. Bleeder came in a side swipe, diving across at Drizzt's chest. The attack was a feint, with Roddy wanting Drizzt to duck under so that he might kick the drow in the face. Drizzt saw through the deception. He leaped instead of ducked, turned a somersault above the cutting axe, and came down lightly, even closer to Roddy. Now Drizzt did wade in, punching with both scimitar hilts straight to Roddy's face. The bounty hunter staggered backward, feeling warm blood rolling out of his nose. Go away, Drizzt said sincerely. Take your dog, go back to Maldabar, or wherever it is you call home. If Drizzt believed that Roddy would surrender in the face of further humiliation, he was badly mistaken. Roddy bellowed in rage and charged straight in, dipping his shoulder in an attempt to bury the drow. Drizzt pounded his weapon hilts down onto Roddy's dipped head and launched himself into a forward roll right over Roddy's back. The bounty hunter went down hard but came quickly to his knees, drawing and firing a dagger at Drizzt even as the drow turned back. Drizzt saw the silvery flicker at the last instant and snapped a blade down to deflect the weapon. Another dagger followed, and another after that, and each time Roddy advanced a step on the distracted drow. I'm knowing your tricks, drow, Roddy said with an evil grin. Two quick steps brought him right up to Drizzt and Bleeder again sliced in. Drizzt dove in a sidelong roll and came up a few feet away. Roddy's continuing confidence began to unnerve Drizzt. 
he'd hit the bounty hunter with blows that would have dropped most men, and he wondered how much damage the burly human could withstand. That thought led Driz to an inevitable conclusion that he might have to start hitting Roddy with more than his scimitar hilts. Again, Bleeder came from the side. This time, Driz did not dodge. He stepped within the arc of the axe blade and blocked with one weapon, leaving Roddy open for a strike with the other scimitar. Three quick right jabs closed one of Roddy's eyes, but the bounty hunter only grinned and charged, catching hold of Drizzt and bearing the later combatant to the ground. Drizzt squirmed and slapped, understanding that his conscience had betrayed him. In such close quarters, he could not match Roddy's strength, and his limited movements destroyed his advantage of speed. Roddy held his position on top and maneuvered one arm to chop down with Bleeder. A yelp from his yellow dog was the only warning he got, and that didn't register enough for him to avoid the panther's rush. Gwenhyver bowled Roddy off of Drizzt, slamming him to the ground. The burly man kept his wits enough to swipe at the panther as it continued past, nicking Gwenhyver on the rear flank. The stubborn dog came rushing in, but Gwenhyver recovered, pivoted right around Roddy, and drove it away. When Roddy turned back to Drizzt, he was met by a savage flurry of scimitar blows that he could not follow and could not counter. Drizzt had seen the strike on the panther, and the fires in his lavender eyes no longer indicated compromise. A hilt smashed Roddy's face, followed by the flat of another blade. A foot kicked his stomach, his chest, and then his groin in what seemed a single motion. Impervious, Roddy accepted it all with a snarl, but the enraged drow pressed on. One scimitar caught again under the axe head, and Roddy moved to charge, thinking to bear Driz to the ground once more. Driz's second weapon struck first, though, slicing across Roddy's forearm. The bounty hunter recoiled, grasping at his wounded limb as Bleeder fell to the ground. Driz never slowed. His rush caught Roddy off guard, and several kicks and punches left the man reeling. Driz then leaped high into the air and kicked straight out with both feet, connecting squarely on Roddy's jaw and dropping him heavily to the ground. Still, Roddy shrugged it off and tried to rise, but this time the bounty hunter felt the edges of two scimitars come to rest on opposite sides of his throat. I told you to be on your way, Drizd said grimly, not moving his blades an inch, but letting Roddy feel the cold metal acutely. Kill me, Roddy said calmly, sensing a weakness in his opponent. If you got the belly for it. Drizd hesitated, but his scowl did not soften. Be on your way, he said with as much calm as he could muster calm that denied the coming trial he knew he would face. Roddy laughed at him. Kill me, you black-skinned devil, he roared, bullying his way, though he remained on his knees toward Drizzt. Kill me or I'll catch you, not for the Doughton Drow. I'll hunt you down to the corners of the world, or under it if I need. Drizzt blanched and glanced at Gwenhyber for support. Kill me, Roddy cried, bordering on hysteria. He grabbed Driz's wrists and pulled them forward. Lines of bright blood appeared on both sides of the man's neck. Kill me as you killed me, dog! Horrified, Driz tried to pull away, but Roddy's grip was like iron. You got no belly for it, the bounty hunter bellowed. Then I'll help you. He jerked the wrists sharply against Driz's pull, cutting deeper lines. And if the crazed man felt pain, it did not show through his unyielding grin. 
Waves of jumbled emotions assaulted Drizzt. He wanted to kill Roddy at that moment, more out of the stupefied frustration than vengeance, and yet he knew that he could not. As far as Drizzt knew, Roddy's only crime was an unwarranted hunt against him, and that was not enough reason to kill. For all that he held dear, Drizzt had to respect human life, even one as wretched as Roddy McGristle's. Kill me! Roddy shouted over and over, taking lewd pleasure in the drow's growing disgust. No! Drizzt screamed in Roddy's face with enough force to silence the bounty hunter, enraged to the point where he could not contain his trembling. Drizzt did not wait to see if Roddy would resume his insane cry. He drove a knee into Roddy's chin, pulled his wrists free of Roddy's grasp, then slammed his weapon hilts simultaneously into the bounty hunter's temples. Roddy's eyes crossed, but he did not swoon, stubbornly shaking the blow away. Drizzt slammed him again and again, finally beating him down, horrified at his own actions and at the bounty hunter's continuing defiance. When the rage had played itself out, Drizzt stood over the burly man, trembling with tears rimming his lavender eyes. Drive that dog far away, he yelled to Gwenhyver. Then he dropped his bloody blades in horror and bent down to make sure that Roddy was not dead. Roddy awoke to find his yellow dog standing over him. Night was fast falling, and the wind had picked up again. His head and arm ached, but he dismissed the pain, wanting only to resume his hunt, confident now that Drizzt would never find the strength to kill him. His dog caught the scent at once, leading back to the south, and they set off. Roddy's nerve dissipated only a little when they came around a rocky outcropping and found a red-bearded dwarf and a girl waiting for him. You don't be touching me, girl, McGristle, Bruner said evenly. You just shouldn't be touching me, girl. She's in league with the drow, Roddy protested. She told the murdering devil of my coming. Driz is not a murderer, Caterbury yelled back. He never did kill the farmers. He says you're saying that just so others will help you catch him. Caterbury realized suddenly that she just admitted to her father that she'd met with the drow. When Caterbury had found Bruner, she told him only of McGristle's rough handling. You went to him? Bruner said, obviously wounded. You lied to me, and you went to the drow. I told you not to. You said you wouldn't. Bruner's lament stung Caterbury profoundly, but she held fast to her beliefs. Bruner had raised her to be honest, but that included being honest to what she knew was right. Once you said to me that everyone gets his due, Caterbury retorted. You tell me that each is different and each should be seen for what he is. I've seen Drizzt and seen him true, I tell you. He's no killer. And he's, she pointed accusingly at McGristle, a liar. I take no pride in my own lie, but never could I let Drizzt get caught by this one. Bruner considered her words for a moment then wrapped one arm around her waist and hugged her tightly. His daughter's deception still stung, but the dwarf was proud that his girl had stood up for what she believed in. In truth, Bruner had come out here, not looking for Caterbury, whom he believed was sulking in the mines, but to find the drow. The more he recounted his fight with the Ramoraz, the more Bruner became convinced that Drizzt had come down to help him, not to fight him. Now, in light of recent events... Few doubts remained. Driz came and pulled me free of that one, Caterbury went on. 
He saved me. Drow's got her mixed, Roddy said, sensing Bruner's growing attitude and wanting no fight with the dangerous dwarf. He's a murdering dog, I say, and so would Bartholomew Thistledown if a dead man could talk. Bah, Bruner snorted. You don't know me, girl, and you'd be thinking the better not to call her a liar. And I told you before, McGristle, and don't like me daughter shook. Me thinkings that you should be getting out of me valley. Me thinkings that you should be going now. Roddy growled, and so did his dog, which sprung between the mountain men and the dwarf and bared its teeth at Bruner. Bruner shrugged, unconcerned, and growled back at the beast, provoking it further. The dog lurched at the dwarf's ankle, and Bruner promptly put a heavy boot in its mouth and pinned its bottom jaw to the ground. And take your stinking dog with ya. Bruner roared, though in admiring the dog's meaty flank, he was thinking again that he might have a better use for the surly beast. I go where I choose, dwarf, Roddy retorted. I'm going to get a drow, and if the drow's in your valley, then so am I. Bruner recognized the clear frustration in the man's voice, and he took closer note of the bruises on Roddy's face and the gash on his arm. The drow got away from ya, the dwarf said, and his chuckle stung Roddy acutely. Not for long, Roddy promised, and no dwarf will stand in me way. Get along back to the mines, Bruner said to Caterbury. Tell the others I mightn't be a bit late for dinner. The axe came down from Bruner's shoulder. Get him good, Caterbury mumbled under her breath, not doubting her father's prowess in the least. She kissed Bruner atop his helmet, then rushed off happily. Her father had trusted her. Nothing in all the world could be wrong. Roddy McGristle and his three-legged dog left the valley a short while later. Roddy had seen a weakness in Drizzt and thought he could win against the drow, but he saw no such signs in Bruner Battlehammer. When Bruner had Roddy down, a feat that hadn't taken very long, Roddy did not doubt for a second that if he asked the dwarf to kill him, Bruner gladly would have complied. From the top of the southern climb, where he had gone for his last look at Ten Towns, Drizzt watched the wagon roll out of the vale, suspecting that it was the bounty hunters. Not knowing what it all meant, but hardly believing that Roddy had undergone a change of heart, Driz looked down at his packaged belongings and wondered where he should turn next. The lights of the towns were coming on now, and Driz watched them with mixed emotions. He'd been on this climb several times, enchanted by the surroundings and thinking he'd found his home. How different now was this view. McGristle's appearance had given Driz pause and reminded him that he was still an outcast and ever to be one. Drizzt, he mumbled to himself, a damning word indeed. At that moment, Driz did not believe he would ever find a home, did not believe that a drow who was not in heart a drow had a place in all the realms, surface or underdark. The hope, ever fleeting in Driz's weary heart, had flown altogether. Bruner's climb, this place is called, said a gruff voice behind Drizzt. He spun about, thinking to flee, but the red-bearded dwarf was too close for him to slip by. Gwenhyber rushed to the drow's side, teeth bared. Put your pit away, elf, Bruner said. If cat tastes as bad as dog, I'll want none of it. My place this is, the dwarf went on. Me being Bruner and this being Bruner's climb. I saw no sign of ownership, Drizzt replied indignantly. 
his patience exhausted from the long road that now seemed to grow longer. I know your claim now, and so I will leave. Take heart, dwarf. I shall not return. Brunner put a hand up, both to silence the drow and to stop him from leaving. Just a pile of rocks, he said, as close to an apology as Brunner had ever given. I named it as me own. But does it make it so? Just a damn pile of rocks. Driz cocked his head at the dwarf's unexpected rambling. Nothing's what it seems, drow, Brunner declared. Nothing. You try to follow what you know, you know. But then you find that you know not what you thought you knowed. Thought a dog be tasting good. Looked good enough. But now me belly's cursing me every move. The second mention of the dog sparked a sudden revelation concerning Roddy McGristle's departure. You sent him away, Drizzt said, pointing down to the route out of the valley. You drove McGristle off my trail. Brunner hardly heard him and certainly wouldn't have admitted the kind-hearted deed in any case. Never trusted humans, he said evenly. Never know what one's about, and when you find out, too many times it's too late for fixin'. But always had me thoughts straight about other folks. An elf's an elf, after all, and so's gnome. And orcs are straight out stupid and ugly. Never knew one to be other ways, and I've known a few. Brunner patted his axe, and Driz did not miss his meaning. So was me thoughts about the drow, Brunner continued. Never met one. Never wanted to. Who would, I ask? Drow are bad, mean-hearted. So I'd been tellin' by me dad, and me dad's dad, and by any who'd be telled me. He looked out to the lights of Tourmaline on Mare Dolden in the west, shook his head, and kicked a stone. Now I heard Drell's prowlin' about me valley, and what's a king to do? Then me daughter goes to him. A sudden fire came into Brunner's eyes, but it mellowed quickly, almost as if embarrassment, as soon as he looked at Drizzt. She lies in me face, Never's done that afore, and never again, if she's a smart one. It was not her fault, Driz began, but Brunner waved his hand about wildly to dismiss the whole thing. Thought I knowed what I knowed, Brunner continued after a short pause, his voice almost a lament. Had the world figured, sure enough. Easy to do when you stay in your own hole. He looked back to Drizzt straight into the dim shine of the drow's lavender eyes. Brunner's climb? the dwarf asked with a resigned shrug. What's it mean, drow, to put a name on a pile of rocks? Thought I knowed I did, and thought a dog taste good. Brunner rubbed a hand over his belly and frowned. Call it a pile of rocks, then, and I've no claim on it more than yourself. Call it Driz climb, then, and you'd be kicking me out. I would not, Driz replied quietly. I do not know that I could if I wanted to. Call it what you will, Brunner cried, suddenly distressed. And call a dog a cow. That don't change the way the thing will taste. Brunner threw up his hands, flustered and turned away, stomping down the rock path, grumbling with every step. And you be keeping your eyes on me, girl. Driz heard Brunner snarl above his general grumbles. If she's so orc-headed as to keep going to the stinking yeti and worm-filled mountain, be knowing that I hold yourself. The rest faded away as Brunner disappeared around a bend. 
Driz couldn't begin to dig his way through the rambling dialogue, but he didn't need to put Bruner's speech in perfect order. He dropped a hand on Gwenhyver, hoping that the panther shared the suddenly wondrous panoramic view. Driz knew that he would sit upon this climb, Bruner's climb, many times and watch the lights flicker to life, for, adding up all the dwarf had said, Driz summarized one phrase clearly, words he'd waited to hear for so many years. Welcome home. Epilogue Of all the races in the known realms, none is more confusing or more confused than humans. Mushi convinced me that gods, rather than being outside entities, are personifications of what lies in our hearts. If this is true, then the many varied gods of the human sex, deities of vastly different demeanors, reveal much about the race. If you approach a halfling or an elf or a dwarf or any of the other races, bad or good, you have a fair idea of what to expect. There are expectations, of course. I name myself as one most fervently. But a dwarf is likely to be gruff, though fair, and I've never met an elf or even heard of one that preferred a cave to the open sky. A human's preference, though, is his own to know, if even he can sort it out. In terms of good and evil, then, the human race must be judged most carefully. I've battled vile human assassins, witnessed human wizards so cut up in their power that they mercilessly destroy all other beings in their paths, and seen cities where groups of humans preyed upon the unfortunate of their own race, living in kingly palaces while other men and women, and even children, starved and died in the gutters of the muddy streets. But I have met other humans, Cadabri, Mushi, Wolfgar, Argawal of Thermalane, whose honor could not be questioned, and whose contributions to the good of the realms in their short lifespans will outweigh that of most dwarves and elves who might live half a millennium and more. They are indeed a confusing race and the fate of the world comes more and more into their ever-reaching hands. It may prove a delicate balance, but certainly not a dull one. Humans encompass the spectrum of character more fully than any other beings. They are the only goodly race that wages war upon itself with alarming frequency. The surface elves hold out hope in the end. They who have lived the longest and seen the birth of many centuries take faith that the human race will mature to goodness, that the evil in it will crush itself into nothingness, leaving the world to those who remain. In the city of my birth, I witnessed the limitations of evil, the self-destruction and inability to achieve higher goals, even goals based upon the acquisition of power. For this reason, I, too, will hold out hope for the humans and for the realms. As they are the most varied, so too are humans the most malleable the most able to disagree with that within themselves that they learn to be false. My very survival has been based upon my belief that there is a higher purpose to this life, that principles are a reward in and of themselves. I cannot, therefore, look forward in despair, but rather with higher hopes for all in mind and with the determination that I might help to reach those heights. This is my tale, then, told as completely as I can recall and as completely as I choose to divulge. Mine has been a long road filled with ruts and barriers, and only now that I have put so much so far behind me am I able to recount it honestly. I will never look back on those days and laugh. The toll was far too great for humor to seep through. 
I do often remember Zach Defane, though, and Belwar and Mushi, and all the other friends I've left behind. I've often wondered, too, of the many enemies I've faced, of the many lives my blades have ended. Mine has been a violent life in a violent world. I have been praised for the perfect cut of my scimitars, for my abilities in battle, and I must admit that I have many times allowed myself to feel pride in those hard-earned skills. Whenever I remove myself from the excitement and consider the whole world more fully, though, I lament that things could not have been different. It pains me to remember Massage Hanet, the only drow I've ever killed. It was he who initiated our battle, and he certainly would have killed me if I'd not proven the stronger. I can justify my actions on that fated day, but never will I be comfortable with their necessity. There should be a better way than the sword. In a world so filled with danger, where orcs and trolls loom seemingly everywhere around the bend of the road, he who can fight is most often hailed as the hero and given generous applause. There is more to the mantle of hero, I say, than strength of arm or prowess in battle. Mushi was a hero, truly, because he overcame adversity, because he never blinked at unfavorable odds, and mostly because he acted within a code of clearly defined principles. Can less be said of Belwar Dizengulp, the handless deepnum who befriended the renegade drow, or of Clacker, who offered his own life rather than bring danger to his friends? Similarly, I name Wolfgar of Icewind Dale a hero, who adhered to principle above battle-lust. Wolfgar overcame the misperceptions of his savage boyhood, learned to see the world as a place of hope rather than a field of potential conquests. And Brunner, the dwarf who taught Wolfgar that important difference, is as rightful a king as ever there was in all the realms. He embodies those tenets that his people hold most dear, that they will gladly defend Brunner with their very lives, singing a song to him even with their dying breaths. In the end, when he found the strength to deny matron malice, my father, too, was a hero. Zach Nefane, who had lost his battle for principles and identity throughout most of his life, won in the end. None of these warriors, though, outshines a young girl I came to know when I first traveled across ten towns. Of all the people I've ever met, none has held themselves to higher standards of honor and decency than Caterbury. She has seen many battles, yet her eyes sparkle clearly with innocence, and her smile shines untainted. Sad will be the day, and let all the world lament, when a discordant tone of cynicism spoils the harmony of her melodic voice. Often those who call me a hero speak solely of my battle prowess, and know nothing of the principles that guide my blades. I accept their mantle for what it's worth, for their satisfaction and not my own. When Caterbury names me so, then I will allow my heart to swell with the satisfaction of knowing that I have been judged from my heart and not from my sword arm. Then will I dare to believe that the mantle is justified. And so my tale ends, do I dare to say? I sit now in comfort beside my friend, the rightful king of Mithril Hall, and all is quiet and peaceful and prosperous. Indeed, this drow has found his home and his place. But I am young. I must remind myself. I may have ten times the years remaining as those that have already passed, and for all my present contentment, the world remains a dangerous place, where a ranger must hold to his principles, but also to his weapons. Do I dare to believe that my story is fully told?
I think not. Drizzed Duarden. I just want to take a moment to thank everybody who went on this journey with me. It's been amazing. When I first started this project, a long while ago actually, I only intended to do the Dark Elf trilogy, and now I've completed my goal. But over the course of this journey, however, I have attracted a lot more listeners than I ever anticipated that I would, and received quite a few emails of people who are enjoying it and are hoping that I continue the journey. So, that being said, I will be continuing the journey. I look forward to starting the Icewind Dale trilogy soon. So, stick around, and safe travels.